I'm Jason Hopkins, founder and president of The Connection Project. Welcome to Everyday Brave, a podcast series for emergency responders by emergency responders. We explore real-world issues that each of us face. Our goal is to inspire, educate, and instill hope that we are all in this together. Thank you for joining us on this journey to become more connected to ourselves and others. Let's get started. Today on this episode of Everyday Brave Podcast, I'm joined by Abigail Manning. Abigail is an innovative voice in preventing unhealthy behaviors and proactively building prosperous cultures. As a culture expert, she offers workshops and keynotes on how to transform toxic and abusive behaviors and prevent adverse spiral outcomes of depression, addiction, cycles of abuse, PTS, and thoughts of suicide. Her passion for teaching comes from rising above her firsthand experience of childhood abuse and domestic violence. She authentically connects and cares about others and building cultures where we can all thrive. Welcome, Abigail. Thank you for being here. I'm glad to have you. Hi, Jason. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me on your show. So in in reading your quick intro here, um, you're a generally awesome person. Like, <laughs> tell me how this all started for you. I know you have a history um, that, that basically brought you to this work. Um, there's some complex things to unpack here I think we're going to do today. So, like, let's jump in and tell me a little bit more about you. Sure, absolutely. Um, So I got started in this, as you said, from childhood abuse, right? right? And so what I've learned is what we think is normal is not always our normal, and but we go along through life thinking it is. Sure. And then all of a sudden you get get caught in like a riptide and you get twisted upside down and around. And that's what happened to me with domestic violence when I ended up in the pit of PTS. Okay. I had two little kids and I thought, I have to figure this out or it literally will kill me. And so I asked for help. I went to the crisis center. I combined that with a double major from Indiana University on cognitive, social, and behavioral theories. And I'm one of those people, Jason, that I have to understand something. It has to make sense in my mind before I can release it and forgive it and let go and move on, right? And so because I am dyslexic, I think of things upside down and backwards sometimes. And cognitive theories aren't really easy to apply when you're in fight, flight, or freeze. So I put together my own language and artwork, and um, through that, I came up with these different definitions that made more sense and took kind of that fear and the stress and the worry and the shame and the blame out of the language that I was hearing. Sure. Um, And then people started asking me about it, so it turned into keynote speaking, which then turned into workshops, and um, it just took off from there. We have a lot of good stuff going on, and, and that's what I do appreciate about your work is that you've really tried to simplify it. Um, to a more human perspective that we all can appreciate and understand. Um, and happy to explore this with you here today. You used the word a minute ago, PTS. Um, so tell us what that means and how that's different from PTSD that most of us are familiar with or hear often. Sure, absolutely. Well, the official diagnosis is of right now is PTSD. Okay. And D stands for disorder. And if you're a strong person and an optimistic person like me and most emergency responder type of people, not that I am, But if you're a strong person, that's how you self-identify, you say, don't give me a disorder. A disorder is a life sentence, right? And I'm not about to raise my hand and say, yes, I have a disorder. Sure. But post-traumatic stress, yeah, that I can buy into. I've been through some really traumatic events and I've had stress from him. Yep. And that I can fix. But um, there's a new swing going to post-traumatic growth. And I personally feel that's a little too far the opposite way. Like you've been through these really traumatic events and you're supposed to be like, yay, it's growth. (laughs) And that's where we eventually get. And that's our goal. But I feel like somewhere in the middle is better. So that's why I personally just use PTS versus the disorder or growth. 
I love that. So, you know, from your lived experience, um, you've been able to see the parallels that exist in a lot of the lives of others. Um, how did that shape the work you're doing today? It sounds like you've got a lot of education to support that. Um, you've changed the language to support that. How does that specifically fit into the emergency responder community? Absolutely. So what I see the parallels for all the different industries. So I work with corporations. I work with military. I work with government emergency right. responders. Right. And so you say, how are they all the same? It's when I see the serving heart. That's the commonality between all of them. And when, so if you see doctors and nurses, it's a serving heart. Military, emergency responders in all different capacities are a serving heart. Um, And so when I see that there's these layers of trauma, so for me, going back to ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, when I talk to people, they all have something, some backstory, some personal story of hardship or hurt or pain or loneliness and then when you layer that upon a job that you you choose to have of a serving heart, you see more and more trauma of what happens in our society, what happens in the world. You're the upfront and personal in it. So do you think that often maybe childhood trauma could be a precursor for people going into careers of helping other people? You're calling it a serving heart. Um, I really see it as seeing people, mm-hmm. you know, where we actually see somebody. Um, do you think those those jobs of service are really about maybe more where we come from and we just evolve into playing that out and helping others? I absolutely, absolutely. When I was an eight-year-old girl, I stood in front of my mirror and I said, this ends with me. Okay. This is not the way it's supposed to be, right? And so all the things that I like about myself, you know, optimistic, hardworking, connects with people, truly cares about people, really wants a better world. We're there from the time I was a little, little girl. And even though that was, they tried to squish it out of me and stomp it out of me and beat it out of me, It's still who I am to this day. And now because I took those weaknesses and I made them my strengths, right? I took those struggles and the problems that I've been through and now they're my strengths and I can go out and help other people become strong. It's so empowering to me and it's so authentic. People can identify with that right away. So I think, again, that serving heart, when you're living authentically and you're living true to the values that you have, you're drawn to passions and careers that fulfill those deep needs that you have to be seen or to help or to be part of the solution. Yeah, I love that. And and that so speaks to the work that I do. I think, you know, authentic or wholehearted living is is really a uh, a, a, a marker for a life well lived. Um, so the word we hear a lot in the emergency responder world and, and being a culture expert, you may know better than this. We use the word wellness or well-being a lot um, in these communities. How do you define wellness? I love that question. I actually struggle with is it wellness? Is it well-being? I, can, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. So, you know, let, let's take a vote or something. Right. Um, but I, maybe they're interchangeable or maybe, again, language is really specific based on different people and your emotional energy towards it. So like family, you may have had a wonderful childhood family and you light up when you think about it. For me, I think eeks, yuck, run away. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's the same word. Right. So for me, the word I've been using instead of wellness or well-being is authentic health. Okay. So authentic health to me is a genuine self-worth wholeness. And in the world of abuse, there's five major major categories. There's emotional, verbal, physical, sexual, and financial. So to me, in the world of wellness, there's those five buckets too. If we ignore the emotional piece and we have maybe two or the other buckets filled, we're still not going to be a genuine wellness, a well-being. All the buckets are never full. And correct, they're never all full. Right. And they're and, but if you're noticing and you're monitoring and you're self-aware of where am I really focusing on just dry, riding up the corporate ladder, for example, and making money, but not looking at my heart. What does my heart need? What is my emotional wellness? What am I saying? What am I thinking? 
And conversely, if you're always an emergency responder and you're filling up the heart bucket, you know, how are you doing in the other categories of um, self-care throughout all of those five buckets? Right. So being a culture expert, I mean, you, you obviously do this work professionally. So for, for somebody that's listening that, um, you know, may be on the path recognizing that something's going on with them or, or, or their buckets are not full, let's just say. Sure. Um, what do you think the point is that how do we help better, better connect them or get them on the path? And I'm sorry, on the path to wellness and well-being? Yeah, to having or even a more fulfilled life, you know, or to dealing with some of these PTS symptoms that they may see from the effects of um, stress situations in the work that they're doing. We know that emergency responders are struggling. Um, how, do we, how do we begin to meet them where they are from this cultural place they all live? Love it. Well, self-awareness, it's um, creating trust. So for me, trust is an acronym and how we build trust not only with ourselves, but others. And again, the reason why trust is so important to me goes back to abuse. Abuse is the ultimate betrayal of trust. Right. But I also see it, you were asking about parallels earlier, that the parallels in the work that I do is that trust erodes or people don't speak up because they have fear and, and doubt. So if we can build a culture of trust, truth, respect, unity, safety, and transparency, then we can come forward and say, hey, you know what, guys, I'm not feeling like me, or I've seen five trauma events in a row, I might need some mental health. Um, I'm not doing so well. I have three kids and I took on extra shifts. Um, So financially, I'm trying to fill the bucket. But now I have double the amounts of trauma that I'm seeing and relating to. Um, I'm going to need some extra time to get some extra sleep or better food. Let's make some really good food this week because I want to make sure I'm taking care of all of my five different buckets. Right. And we see historically that, and I don't think this is just with emergency responders, but it certainly is prevalent in that community that most of them are wired to help other people first. They'll help their families. They'll help their, their coworkers or their team first uh, before they help themselves. Like I'm trying to identify, and maybe we don't have an answer here to unpack. What's the first step somebody can take if they're struggling? Well, and I think it's recognizing the struggle because what I'd like to do is back it up way before that so we don't have to get to the point of struggling. So I developed a concept called Adverse Spiral, and it starts off with stress and fear. And we have so much stress and fear, especially for our emergency responders, that it often gets ignored or pushed aside or whatever. I'll deal with that later. But if we can identify it then when it's stress and fear, so abuse is repeated mistreatment. And so when we have trauma and it's repeated over and over and over, that stress and fear easily moves down to um, self-worth and um, self-doubt, which can then move into depression, which can then move into cycles of addiction, and then um, PTS and thoughts of suicide. So that's the trajectory of it. So if we can start when back in awareness and build those teams of trust, build relationships of trust, where I, I can come to you and I can say, hey, you know what? I know, I know it's just a little thing like the stress issue, but I've had 10 in a row right. and I'm starting to self-doubt. Like, I don't know that I'm cut out for this job. And then instead of that going down, you could help me stop. Or there's place, things in place where you can use different language. Like instead of saying help, you can say, I just don't feel like me. Right. What other resources do we have? You can help people word it in a way that I see you, I care about you, and I don't have the answers, but let's figure out who does. Right. And I'm happy to listen. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, I do I do a lot of that in, in my own work, and I always tend to look at it as a funnel. And what you're talking about, which I think is spot on, is how do we meet people before they get into the funnel? Yes. You know, yes. to be – to have a system in place that allows us to be able to – organically say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with something. Like, I don't feel like myself or this is what happened. And, um, you know, in, in the work that I've done, I often see that 
people don't want you to fix it. And I think there's a real implication if somebody comes to you um, to want to talk about something, they're expecting you to fix it. And I think that's a, a fallacy in our system. It, most people just want to talk. They just want to get out what they're struggling with. And you can say, hey, I don't know what you're going through. I don't understand, but I'm glad you shared it with me. They just want to feel heard and valued. Um, do you think that that makes sense in most of these cases? I don't I don't think that we have to make this harder than it is. Most of us just want an outlet. Absolutely. Absolutely. One they trust, right? One that's safe and you can be really you, you and right. everything. So the reason why I like PTS is because I can change the language so I can say, well, Jason, that's to be expected. When Pete, you don't take away the judgment, take away the shame, the blame, right. take away any of those things. Like, why do you feel that way? What's wrong with you? Take away anything right. that could be that. But it's to be expected. Right. Of course you have PTS. Of course you do. Yeah, so look the, at what you're dealing with on a daily exactly. basis. Exactly. And then we forget that. We're, they're supposed to be superhuman. Well, they're not superhuman. They're humans doing super jobs. There's a big difference between the two. And the two components that I see that are always consistent with going down this adverse spiral are, do you feel alone or do you feel unity? And alone is where you don't have anybody you can go to. You don't have anybody you can really tell your your truth to. Right. Or you have one or two. And that person might be out of town. That person might be saturated. That person you might feel like a burden. So you need a variety of people that you have deep, meaningful relationships with. And then you also have services you know you can go to. The second factor between being alone and unity, judging, you know, do I have that in my life, is do I feel hopeless or do I feel optimist? about my future, about my ability sure. and my resources. So I, I made a scale from zero to 10, from alone to unity, you know, if you feel a three, and then from um, hopeless to optimist, give yourself a number there, take the two, add them, divide by two. It's not hard math, even I can do that one. <laughs> and then quickly you can say, you know, Jason, my composite score is a seven. You're like, that's, that's great. Good right. job. Or I can say, hey, Jason, my composite score is a three. And you can say, Abigail, you've been a three for the last three weeks. Right. And I can say, no, no, I haven't. Right. You know, yeah, you have. And I can understand why. It's to be expected. We've had a lot of cases lately. We've had a lot of trauma. We've had a lot of calls. Let's get some extra resources in. And I, you see me. You're listening to me. You right. care about me. You're protecting me. That is such a beautiful change in, in an environment. And I don't feel invaded by you. I don't feel like, why are you sticking your nose in my business? Right. Right? Well, and fundamentally, I think it's what we all crave as humans. We want to be seen, valued, and heard. I mean, period. Absolutely. So, you know, you talk a lot about um, the culture of these communities, specifically with emergency responders. How do you think the culture plays into people maybe not taking the necessary steps to get help and, and, and going further into that adverse spiral or that funnel that we talked about? Um, is it a culture problem? Well, I, w I, I always like positive language. <laughs> and here I'm taking this negative. <laughs> Reframe it for us. So is there an opportunity for us to do better? Sure. And I think there's for all of us. And when we can have that self-awareness and look at it and say, how can we do better? Then people open the doors more. When right. I say, you know, is there a problem here? People immediately want to defend and protect and deny. So is there an, a culture that we have created where, again, they're superheroes? Yes. Is there a culture where you're supposed to be so strong and I'm the strong one, I help others, I right. fix others, I rescue other people? Well, it's not mutually exclusive is the language what we have to explain to people that you're not weak in saying, I want some support and give language that is, again, not like I need help, I'm failing. 
reword it, flip it. So it's a positive word of, hey, I really would encourage, I really need some extra encouragement versus if the word of depression or suicide or I have an addiction is just too hard. That's okay. It's really hard for most of us. So we don't say it and then we pretend everything is fine. But if we could just say, I don't, I don't feel like myself or um, did that last call bother you? And, and get the conversation and dialogue going without the uh, the key to the adverse spiral is shame, blame, judgment, and isolation. Sure. So if we can remove that in the language, that's why I don't like, you know, is there a problem here? Right. And rewording it. But I think there is in, in explaining that strong people have needs, emotions, those five buckets. And just saying it in a practical, positive way makes it easier for people to say, yeah, I feel that way also. So if strong people are on this one-way road to help but don't get help, where does that lead us? Well, the bottom of that in my world, what I see is thoughts of suicide and suicide. Um, And so what we can do is we can try to back it up before that and explain that it's not mutually exclusive and to reach out and get help and and get support and get encouragement and do the self-care steps. Self-care is really hard. I still struggle with self-care a lot. It's incredibly hard. And even when you do it pretty consistently, it's still hard. I mean, you, you, you have to... Make time for it. Right. And I think you have to put it in place before you need it. Sure. Right. Build the bridge before you need it. Right. So Not you, when it's on fire. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we can we can respond when we have that self-awareness. So if you're saying, you know, you've been a three, let's let's up your self-care. So a lot of us I hear all the time, I don't have hobbies. I take care of other people. I work. I, I get my stuff done. I don't even know how to have fun anymore. Right. So that is a red flag right there. How do you have fun? Go back to your childhood. Go back to what makes you joyful. What could you do for hours on end? Is it hiking? Is it a lot of times it's exercise, especially for emergency responders. They tend to be physical people and you can work out anxiety and fear and doubt and stress. All those things at the very high end of the adverse spiral before they get big. Um, so if that, if that's a solution for you, that's fantastic. Some people like quiet time. Some people like nature, some like meditation. Um, so know what those are so you can grab those tools before you're in the fight, flight, or freeze mode or into the depression or the addiction, because then it's just so much easier to grab a bottle or drugs or booze or gambling or sex and use that instead of going to the gym or driving to the mountains to go hiking. And statistically, we know that that those are the results often that that many people are struggling with. So, you know, if I'm understanding you, really getting people engaged in um, taking care of themselves first is a necessary first step. And that could be healthy food, an adequate amount of sleep, um, physical exercise, figuring out a hobby, something like that doesn't necessarily have to. Um, start with, oh, you've got to practice yoga or you've got to do <laughs> mindfulness or uh, go on a plant-based diet, right? Right, right. And again, I'm going to go back to those five buckets. So maybe look back at your, write it down on a piece of paper and write three things you can proactively do in all five buckets. Okay. So if financial, you're out of financial control, you have tons of debt, you don't have a house, you want to have a house. So what are three things you can do in that financial bucket that are going to be proactive and empower you. Right. Have you sent, have a sense of power and control? So my whole world is about preventing trauma and abuse and hardships. The whole key to that is power and control. So when you have power and control over your life, even if your finances aren't great, you're okay. You're like, right. I know it's all right. It's fine for now. I have a path. I have a plan. I'm going to make it happen. Right. But when you feel out of power and control, that's when we slide down the adverse spiral. Some words that have really served me well in my recovery journey uh, that tie to this are, it's now and not forever. 
And I oh. think being able to look at things in the practical sense of it's now and not forever makes a big difference in a lot of these steps that we take. Um, and really, it sounds like what you're your approach really is, um, you're talking about power and control. It really sounds like it's empowering people to take power and control of their own lives. Absolutely. In fact, I just wrote down that it's not now and forever. I'm going, can I? It's now, not forever. It's Say it again. It's now, not forever. It's now, not forever. Yep. Perfect. That's a comma, not and. Love it. <laughs> Doesn't I matter. Love you it. get the gist. I do. I love it. Right. That's a great language. Um so what do you think is still required for emergency responder communities to truly make a sustainable impact? Started with self-awareness. So, so in impact in creating healthy environments for yes. themselves? Yes. Oh, wonderful. So, yes, yeah, self-awareness. So knowing what's your triggers, what knowing what's your fight, flight, or freeze, recognizing where in your body, because our bodies will tell us in our stomach, in our gut, our jaws tightening, our fists are clenching. Where do we feel it? Where can we recognize it within ourselves? And then already have a plan that you go to so that you're responding like you would versus reacting to a situation that's happening within you. So it's all about yourself and it's all about other people, knowing other people's story, knowing other people's triggers, knowing other people's what they've come through so that you can be that support and you can be the mirror and you can watch for them and we can protect each other. Which I would think beautifully aligns with most of these people in that they're, they have that service heart um, to do this work, to be able to show up for other people in a more authentic and real way um, is really valuable. Um, I love the work that you're doing. I think that this is amazing and I'm glad we could shine a spotlight on it. So is there anything we didn't cover today that you think that is is valuable or important we should share? You don't have to have anything. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> well, I think you and I could keep chatting for quite we a long could. time, and I would love that. Um, I think it's just really knowing I call them purple threads, and the purple threads are the lies that are woven into you. Okay. And those PT, purple threads, become your personal thoughts, which become your personal triggers. And then you have to PT. You have to physically train to pull them out. And when you do, be patient and kind. Again, always be positive with yourself because you can feel like you're going to unravel. And it feels like it could be too much. So take your time. Take your pace. You know, pace, slow it down, work it through, get great resources around you. But it doesn't have to be this scary thing for the rest of your life to really authentically look in the mirror. And I promise you, when you do it and you do the work, it is so liberating. It is empowering. I couldn't agree more. And I think that beautifully ties up this conversation. Um, So if people want to learn more about you, how can they get connected to you, Abigail? Oh, fabulous. I'm sure you have information in your show notes. They can also find us at abigailgmanning.com and on Facebook as well. That's fantastic. Thank you for being here today. I so enjoyed our time. Thank you. And thank you for all the work you're doing to make this a better world. I'm happy to do it. We are glad you shared your time with us today. Thank you. If you or someone you know is struggling, we are here to help. You are not alone. The Connection Project has resources that can support you. I encourage you to check out the Everyday Brave digital resource list, which can be found on our website, www.realpeoplereallife.org. Until next time, thanks for listening.